The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
have a little bit of a break before we jump back into our next budget session. So commissioners, there's a number of items uh, city manager would like to get through this afternoon. Um, again, I, I ask that uh, as you read through the budget book and as we go through these budget presentations, if you have questions or additional comments, please get those to the city manager as soon as possible so that he can follow up uh, before our next meeting. So with that, I will turn it to the city manager. Thank you, uh, Mayor and Commissioners, for, for your time this morning and your time this afternoon. We'll continue our discussions this morning with an overview of our capital um, budget as well as a review of our health and environment strategic priority as well as a briefing by the Stormwater Oversight Commission. Then we'll pause, <clears throat> see what questions you might have, and we'll take the balance of the briefings, which will uh, review um, our mobility strategic priority as well as our investment in uh, streets, particularly with our vital streets uh, oversight commission. Um, today, after we discuss um, the plan briefings, also ask um, staff who were here last week, particularly public safety, to come back in the event that you have any questions about what we presented today or any uh, additional questions from previously covered materials. So if we get done prior to uh, 5 o'clock, we'll, we'll be happy to entertain any questions that you might have. And uh, with that, I will uh, go right to the capital overview section and um, turn over to uh, Ms. Sutter. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you today. A very quick overview of capital for today for the budget, similar to what I've done in the past. But just a reminder, this analysis includes capital projects regardless of the fund. So also includes uh, projects that are grant funded, millage funded, or sometimes we have some leverage projects where uh, private partners are coming in and helping us out with those as well. So you can see for fiscal year 23, total capital investments when we look at all of these funds is just shy of 165 million, with uh, 10.5 million being for capital improvement fund projects. And then you can see when when we look across the five years, just a little over 500 million in total for capital investments. This is looking at our investments by strategic priority. And so by and large, most of our capital projects are in the health and environment area, because this includes any and all capital investments for environmental services department, water department, our parks, cemeteries, and LED lighting. Uh, governmental excellence, city facilities, and mobility are other large areas of strategic priority investment from a capital perspective. So with respect to the analysis that we do, we define projects as either location-specific or citywide. Hopefully these terms are pretty familiar to you now that we've been doing it a few years. But citywide are those properties like um, an investment at City Hall that benefits the entire community at large versus location-specific are those really that are in a neighborhood or a specific area benefiting um, those in that particular location. Um, and these include things like parks, cemeteries, water and sewer line work, um, syst systematic sidewalk, excuse me, sidewalk repairs and vital streets as some of the examples. So when we look across um, the current fiscal year for these capital investments, about 37% um, is location specific and those are the projects that we do the ward balance and distribution and the neighborhood of focus analysis on. Won't go into detail on this um, slide, but wanted to provide an overview of some of the largest ticket items by ward and those that are um, citywide. So this list includes any of those capital investments that are at a half a million dollars or more, broken down by each of the respective areas. 
So just a reminder on the ward balance and distribution analysis. Um, again, this does include uh, capital projects regardless of the fund source. Um, the goal is to achieve relative equality over time to the extent possible. Um, and as a reminder, I think many of you are very familiar with our asset management planning that we do across a number of our different assets. And this is something that's been happening for quite some time. And we have a certain number of assets located in certain locations, and that will drive more investment in certain locations due to the nature that we just have more assets located in those particular areas. Uh, with respect to some policy decisions, just a few reminders on some items. Um, if a project is on the border between two wards, we split that evenly between the two wards. Um, and when we talk about river projects, whether they are wet or dry, we do split those 50-50 between the first ward and the second ward with respect to those projects. And finally, fire stations are divvied up by ward and area based on the service area that they have defined for those particular fire stations. Um, and so the last part that I just want to call your attention to, and we started talking about this a little bit last year, sometimes we have capital investments predominantly that are made through the capital fund and our capital budgets, but sometimes we have capital um, type projects or other ward specific projects that are funded through an operational basis. So last year, as an example, we had the really fantastic EPA grant funding for lead service line replacements that was done. And that was uh, very specifically intended to serve the third ward, um, but that wasn't something that was in in, in capital. So for purposes of the next slide where I'll go through the analysis, um, that EPA grant funded work is included in there. It's very specific in terms of the location of those assets. Um, and we're also including the third ward equity fund in terms of location specific investments that are being made. So both from fiscal year 21 as well as the one that was identified and discussed earlier today for fiscal year 23. And then lastly, um, you heard uh, Mr. Matthews talk about participatory budgeting and ARPA earmarked funding specifically for ward areas, and that's been included and identified in this as well. So um, if you look across uh, the time here on the left-hand side, this is showing you year-by-year -year investment by our three wards starting with 2021. Um, so that was what was approved in the budgets for 21 and 22 is being reflected here. And then 23 through 27 is what we currently have in the proposed budget to show you. you of course, there's some fluctuation over time. And then the graph on the right is taking the um, average across all of these years to understand investment by ward, inclusive of investments from 2021 through the five-year projection in this particular budget, 2027. So the first and the third ward um, have investment at 31% of the total, and the first ward has investment at 38%. And so just a quick note on the first ward, um, again, the Grand River projects are split there, and that's something that is uh, typically a little bit larger in the first ward. And also um, the Calder Plaza is one of the projects um, that's a pretty significant investment in the future that is also falling part in um, the first ward. And then just a note for 25 and 26, you'll see the third ward um, tipping up a little bit, and that is due to the Division Street Fire Station that is included in the out years. But interestingly, I don't know if a lot of people know, um, that fire station, 24% serves the third ward, and 76% serves the first ward in terms of that. 
So just to wrap up, you're all very familiar with our neighborhoods of focus, but for those in the public, um, 17 of our census tracts where the most disparities exist on any quality of life indicator. So one of the ways that we've been working to address equity is to be very intentional about investments in our neighborhoods of focus. And we've done a similar analysis across time with respect to the investments in the neighborhoods of focus as we've done with wards. And um, so it's about, it's 36% of our census tracts um, fall in the neighborhoods of focus. And so over time, you can see we've been investing more than that 36% in the neighborhoods of focus. And again, on the right, the average from 20, um, 20 over to 27, showing that um, that investment is 39% uh, for our five-year budget this year and 40% on average across that time. Um, I want to uh, acknowledge my colleague, Mr. Scott Sandin, who is the expert on the Capital Investment Fund, but just for purposes of time, um, he's provided an analysis to dig in a little bit more on the Capital Improvement Fund in terms of specific projects broken down by department. So you can see, of course, that our facilities department takes the lion's share of these investments as well as engineering. And then the last slide is looking specifically at fiscal year 23 with respect to the Capital Improvement Fund and how those investments fall across across our departments. And so with that, I'm going to roll into health and environment. And I'm actually up first for that before I turn it over to my colleagues. So one of the first topics for the commission's focus areas is with respect to climate change. And so in terms of looking at some of the um, fiscal year, I just realized, Mr. Matthews, did you want to <laughs> jump in or you want me to keep going? Okay, yeah, I'll keep going. <laughs> Sorry. I, didn't know <laughs> no. I think I just got excited, so <laughs> go ahead. Full disclosure, I was just going to let her keep going because there's, <laughs> there's nobody in this organization more enthusiastic about addressing <laughs> climate change than uh, Ms. Sutter. Um, so... Uh, we wanted to be we wanted to be very intentional and specific uh, when we talk about health and the environment to call out our efforts around climate change specifically. Um, you'll note in these highlights uh, that there are a couple of core themes. Uh, you know, when we talk about climate change, uh, it has to do with people. It has to do with behaviors. Um, but then for our part, it has to do with how do we treat infrastructure, um, how do we treat buildings, and then how do we plan uh, in terms of both of those, as well as fleet and facilities. So you'll notice that a lot of these highlights have to do with the work that we've been doing in those spaces, as well as the work that we've been doing more um, broadly on waste management efforts. Uh, I will call out uh, specifically because I think since I've been here with the organization, we've been having conversations about LED streetlights, uh, that we've been able to continue that work. Uh, we, we do have some, a fair amount of work to go. Uh, that hasn't been helped by the global supply chain issues um, that we've been facing, uh, but we remain committed to getting that work done. Uh, we have at the same time, um, through the facilities department, we've addressed the lighting in our own buildings as well. So we're trying to take a, a full circle approach when it comes to the little things that we can do to start addressing that challenge, which is something that you all, of course, passed a resolution on this year. And we established some uh, municipal goals as well. Uh, 
so when we look at uh, FY23, some of the key strategic investments, there's two things that are mentioned here that we've been talking about over the last couple of years. Uh, one of those is EH0, um, and the other is the community collaboration on climate change. And I mention those two together because they're similar in the approach, um, which is really involving the affected communities in our planning for the work. Um, C4 really focusing at the, uh, at the environmental justice point as well as more on uh, community and behavioral issues where the EH0 program is really going to be focused more on buildings and how those contribute to our climate footprint. Um, so as we move that work forward, you'll see a lot more uh, business and builder environment in that space. Uh, C4 has committed really as a foundation of their work um, to help in the development of our climate action and adaptation plan. Um, as well as providing uh, some advisory capacity to the work that we're doing on the community master plan. So you're going to see a lot of that coming forward this year. We're um, going to continue uh, to look at opportunities to increase our participation when it comes to recycling, when it comes to waste diversion. You'll see one of the items that's on here is a pilot that we're doing with the Housing Commission properties. Um, that, of course, has uh, unique demands when it comes to the infrastructure that's required to be able to do that work um, that's just fundamentally different than what it is that we do um, when we're collecting at the curbside. We're also looking at additional ways that we can electrify our fleet, um, and that runs across the board. Um, we continue to look at heavy vehicles and what the alternatives are, um, as well as our regular fleet purchases and all the way down to one of the things that you'll see here, which is our golf cart infrastructure, if that is such a thing. Um, so we're going to be building out the supportive infrastructure, so the charging capacity and things like that at the golf course this year, um, so that when our lease expires on the current fleet, we'll be able to electrify that going into the following year. So looking on the horizon, Continuing to build community awareness uh, and understanding of the, the impacts and the urgency around climate change and adaptation as well as the impacts of environmental justice, uh, the way that climate can disparately affect specific parts of our population. Those are conversations that we're going to continue to have, we're going to continue to involve the community in. Um, as I mentioned, through that work that we're doing with EH0 and, and through C4 and through the community master plan um, in particular. We continue to look at ways that we can get into um, or participate in the generation matrix. Uh, of course, one of our big achievements was uh, the installation of solar out at the uh, Lake Michigan plant this past year. And looking forward, we continue to have conversations about what are the opportunities on Butterworth to have a similar partnership. And hopefully, what are some creative ways that we can extend our utilization of that, um, that footprint uh, for solar in a way that allows us to meet uh, our own peak demands on our own circuit? Uh, so we've had some conversations about how uh, battery storage might fit into a plan like that, knowing that we utilize the vast majority of our energy, not during the day, but in the evenings with our street lighting and, and signals and things like that. 
Um, one of the items that we're going to be talking about here in a second is, is our refuse uh, and recycling operations. Um, we just received a, um, a copy of a, a county study that looked at the composition of our waste stream. And it really gives us a, an opportunity to take a step back and say, okay, well, what do we need to prioritize? What does our matrix need to look like when it comes to collection and disposal? And even what the business model looks like. And that's something that we're going to address here in a second. Uh, the other piece of this is really leaning into smart infrastructure. Uh, so we just got news last week um, on our water, our river monitoring uh, sensors that we're getting our first data from that uh, initiative uh, for water quality monitoring on the river. Um, and uh, we deployed over the last year air quality monitoring sensors um, on the back end of a pilot that we had originally done with Start Garden, and we're going to be expanding that program as well. So at this point, I'm going to pass it back over uh, to Ms. Barron. She's going to talk about parks and recreation, and then I want to come back to some of the, the key items that are on our uh, health and environment list uh, just to tee up for the future. All right. Thank you. So parks under our uh, relatively newly adopted uh, park system and master plan, I want to hit first some of our fiscal year 2022 accomplishments. Uh, so we have received a number of accolades for um, innovative and state-of-the-art work, uh, highlighting in particular the design award for the Roberto Clemente Park from State of Michigan's Recreation and Park Association. Uh, we are also making considerable, pro considerable progress on the park maintenance levels of service and the objectives of advancing the number of park spaces that are in the A and B category. So we move that needle from 20% to just above 50% in fiscal year 22, over fiscal year 22. Um, in addition, we are investing um, more of our parks millage funds in projects uh, over fiscal year 22. We expect that number to be above $2 million. Um, and I want to highlight that we have launched something called the Thrive Outside Gear Library, which continues to eliminate barriers for everyone to be able to enjoy activities and experiences in the outdoors. Turning to our fiscal year 23 investments, uh, we are uh, particularly investing in operations and programming, again, with that goal towards elevating our levels of service in, park, in all of our park spaces. We're continuing to invest significant of our operating dollars in that effort. This year, in fiscal 2023, 20, uh, we anticipate uh, hiring a new groundskeeper uh, to help with that effort and another maintenance position as well. We'll continue free summer camp offerings as well as senior wellness programs, again, expanding the ability of every resident to enjoy our parks programming. And we anticipate continuing to support that gear library with a full-time uh, position to, in, uh, to support that program. On the capital investment side, I just want to highlight a few um, of our continued investments throughout the city. Uh, we are continuing to invest in acquisition and park improvements in line with the master plan. As opportunities allow, that acquisition will focus efforts on increasing the number of parks in the third ward to address uh, past deficits. Uh, we also are continuing to make progress through those acquisitions and improvements on our goal of residents being within a 10-mile walk of parks and open space. 
Just looking out to the horizon, uh, some similar themes here that you have seen in other places with respect to staffing, the challenge of finding and retaining staffing, as well as increasing costs for staff and contracted services. Um, I will highlight um, uh, to dovetail with what Mr. Matthews said, the electric golf cart fleet will drive some fee increases for our customers, but I am told that they also come with things like GPS features and Bluetooth, so making it a very valuable asset. Not so that because you're lost on the golf course, but to tell you which club to select. <laughs> uh, so that will tell you how far you need to drive that from the tee. Um, so anyway, that's an issue coming up as well as... Um, the, we are continuing to grow our fund balance in each of the out years. That is an intentional strategy in anticipation of rising costs for pool operation and construction costs. So that is something we are on track to accomplish. Uh, also want to uh, highlight that seasonal staffing is probably the key staffing challenge in the Parks Department. With that, I'm going to hand it back to Mr. Matthews. Thank you. So just taking a look at some of the uh, other investments and highlights uh, from the past year and looking forward into 23. Um, of course, uh, when we talk about uh, health and the environment, the environment doesn't stop at your front door. Um, that includes what happens inside the home, and we've continued to make significant investments, um, both in terms of mitigating lead paint, but also staying ahead of some of the conversations that, that we've heard from other communities when it comes to uh, lead service lines. Uh, we've had the, the benefit of some pretty significant state and federal investment that's allowed us to continue to do that work at a pretty good pace, uh, completing... Uh, we completed, I believe, 2,300 um, lead service line replacements since 2017. You'll see 65% of those have happened in the third ward. Um, bringing on the lead program specialists that we did over this past year, is, as you know, brings a significant amount of experience um, to, to the organization for us to be able to be uh, very tactical about that work in the future. Um, the other thing when we talk about uh, the water system in particular is that, as you know, our water system does not just serve the city of Grand Rapids. Um, and we've got an opportunity uh, this year uh, to partner um, with the federal government and address what's been a persistent issue out in Cascade Township near the airport. Um, get those homes on city water and off of the wells where there is a documented PFAS contamination. Um, so I wanted to note that as well. So when we look forward to FY23, um, I mentioned the uh, water quality visualization. Uh, we're starting to get data from those sensors, which is pretty exciting. Um, we are going to be continuing our water and utility bill assistance programs uh, and investing in um, entry-level opportunities for employees so that we continue to effectively, as, as we've talked about, grow our own, uh, bring folks in, uh, develop their skills, um, hopefully develop their passion uh, for work when it comes specifically to water, wastewater, refuse, things like that, which are critical to our sustainability goals. Um, continuing our work when it comes to uh, remediation efforts around lead. And um, 
making uh, making continued improvements to our facilities. So that's both the um, the water resource recovery facility, the the wharf as we call, as it's been called, but um, also some pretty significant investments out at the water plant itself. Those are mentioned here. Uh, the residuals improvements. That's almost twenty million dollars in investment out of the Lake Michigan plant. Um, Restoration, repair of our, our storage tanks. Um, you know, and as I mentioned, these one of the things, as you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm moving into the water, wastewater, and refuse area um, for the organization. And as I've been learning more about what it is that we're doing, I can just tell you, I I, be, I become more and more impressed with uh, with the skill and the professionalism and the proactiveness. Um, of of our team that's that's running these operations, especially when you look at some of the news just recently that's been coming out about the maintenance of water infrastructure, um, that uh, we are well ahead of it, and it's because of these plans um, to invest early and make sure that things continue to run uh, as well and as efficiently, not just for us, but all of our customer communities. So looking ahead, um, you're going to be hearing about our MS4 permit changes, um, updates to the industrial pretreatment program, um, making sure that we stay in a good place when it comes to our debt coverage, uh, particularly on the uh, sewer and wastewater side. Um, you've heard this mentioned a couple of times, uh, supply chain issues. Uh, when that comes to big equipment, uh, when it comes to chemical supplies, all of those things are dependent on a global production and distribution system that, that we are beholden to. Uh, so things that may have taken us three or four months to get delivered and installed, uh, we're looking at nine to 12 months to get delivered and installed. So that's just something that we need to make sure that we're thinking about and we're planning for them. Same thing with the LED project. It's probably going to go a little slower in 23 than we'd like, not because we're not ready to do the work, but because we don't have the supplies to get it all done. Uh, that's, that's in particular not the, the lights themselves, but the circuit boards and things that we need to be able to run the equipment. Refuse and recycling, we're going to talk about here shortly. Um, our, our recycling costs uh, have, have increased significantly over the last five years. Um, while our rate of participation uh, has flattened or, or dropped over that same period of time. Uh, so we're at a point where we're going to have to have a, a pretty robust conversation both in this room but in the community about what those programs are going to look like in the future. Um, and that's also related to some of the initiatives that are happening at the county. Um, uh, one of my colleagues, James Hurd, is over there now in a conversation about the sustainable business park and how that fits into the bigger model for uh, the reduction um, of, of waste as a community. So the key discussion items that I wanted to bring forward today. And this is similar to what we talked about with special events. Uh, there's not a specific action to be taken, um, but because we're talking about the budget um, and because we're talking about what to look forward to in FY23, we wanted to tee these up so that you're aware of them. Uh, the first one is the biodigester. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that the biodigester is up and running. We've got the first tank going. Um, 
we've got uh, the combined heat and power generators are running. Uh, we are generating gas that we are uh, distributing and selling to, to DTE. So everything in the system um, is, is, well, I don't want to say, everything in the system up to now is working. We still have another tank that we need to, to get online, and that's the next step in this process. Um, We've learned a little bit through the opening of this first tank and getting it running um, that we're now adapting and adjusting to. So that brings us uh, to where we are now. I mentioned that we're running, we're producing gas, everything's in operation. What we've seen is uh, an unexpectedly high level of uh, fats, oils, and greases coming through the system. And that's resulted in, uh, you know, if you think about the human body, it's resulted in, in clogged arteries, um, which has caused us to have to stop production, clean out the lines, and then restart production. Um, and, and every time that happens, it's it started at about a 12-hour process. Uh, we've learned. We've got it down to about an 8-hour process, but it's not a process that we want to get good at doing. Um, so the, the team's been working with our consultants, been working with the city engineer um, to really zero in on what it is that we need to adjust now before we get that second tank running. Um, that's going to require uh, about a $1.5 million investment that we're going to be bringing back to you um, first meeting in June. Uh, that'll be a BA for FY22, not a budget item for FY23. Um, we expect that that's going to take nine to 12 months. When we talked about the infrastructure, it's going to take about nine to 12 months to get everything in place. Uh, I can say that uh, we have replaced one of the, uh, the pumps that was in question and uh, effectively tripled the pressure running through our system just with the replacement of that single pump. So we have a high level of confidence that uh, this is it. Um, that this is the last adjustment we've got to make on this project and then we'll be fully operational in FY23. The second item that I wanted to bring up is uh, refuse and recycling. Uh, our disposal and tipping fees have continued to increase uh, as well as our recycling costs as I mentioned. Um, we now have this additional element. Uh, there was a conversation, of course, about do we expand waste to energy? Do we go with an alternative? The county put out an RFP for an alternative for this sustainable business park, which is effectively kind of a, a one-drop operation. Uh, they do all the sorting and the reuse on site through a third party. Um, and uh, making a determination on how that affects the way that we operate. Um, so what I want to show you now is where we are. So we talked about the sustainable, sustainable business park. Um, the proposal that they have requires 400,000 400, tons uh, of materials to be delivered to their facility. Um, they effectively sort that uh, into marketable recyclables. Uh, Buy it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I want to say, uh, why am I blanking on the? Um, I, 
the compost. I, I, I was I was still on biosolids from the previous, and it's not it's not the biosolids; it's the organics. Um, but organics, uh, which they are actually going to be putting through their own biodigester on site, uh, and then fiber materials that they're going to repurpose into a roofing board that they can take to market. Um, so the idea is you can drop all of the materials. They're going to sort and separate those materials into marketable products. Uh, the questions that we have have to do with the tipping cost for that, which is going to be the same as proposed uh, as it would be to recycle or to uh, drop at waste to energy. Um, how, it meet, how it helps us meet our diversion goals. Uh, so if you think about a one-drop operation at that point, are we really encouraging people not to put things in the garbage in the first place? Um, and then how that fits with our collection model, uh, because all of that requires transportation and, and the proposed location for the sustainable business park uh, isn't, uh, it's pretty far from the footprint of the city of Grand Rapids, so we would have in increased transportation costs. And those are all things that we're in discussions with the county right now about. Um, they have agreed to pause uh, the next decision on that project um, until the end of this calendar year in order to engage all of the partners in a conversation about what we need to do moving forward. So just visually so that you understand where it is that we are. Um, these are our annual recycling costs over the last 10 years. You'll see that we started at about $1.3 million in fiscal year 12. We're now at about $4.5 million in the coming year. And that's with very little variability in the uh, millage, which we'll look at in a future slide. So this is what's challenging for us is during that same period of time where the costs for recycling have gone up, uh, really tripled, um, our participation in recycling has gone down fairly significantly. Um, so the cost per ton of recycling has gone up pretty significantly over that period of time. And our participation rates have gotten worse. They haven't gotten better. And as you know, we've had issues with contamination in our current model. Fiscally, this is what it is that we're trying to resolve. Um, the blue line is what we're collecting in terms of millage uh, for recycling amongst a, a couple of other services that are worked into that millage. Next, next slide. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm working two different sets of buttons here. Um, the blue line is the revenue. The orange line is what our expenditures are on millage-related services. So you see we really crossed that threshold in FY19. That gap that you see between the two uh, is currently being made up uh, through a combination of our pay-it revenues and our retained earnings. Um, we could have come forward this year with a proposal to either increase the millage or add a fee. We didn't feel like that was the conversation that we needed to have. We needed to have a broader conversation about what this model looks like in the future, which will get me to the consultant report uh, that we received um, late last year. 
This is over all the tipping fees. Um, some notable things here, you'll see that waste energy, we had a pretty significant drop in 2011. That's when we, um, oh, um, pretty significant drop in 2011 when the, when the bonds for that facility were paid off. Um, that has, in 2022, uh, climbed up almost to where it was in 2010 in terms of costs. Uh, at the same time, the recycling fees uh, effectively tripled in 2017, and they've doubled again since then, uh, here in 2022. And the proposal right now is that the sustainable business park tip fees would be the same effectively as the uh, recycling center tip fees or the waste energy tip fees. So now the consultant recommendations. So last year we had someone come in, look at our operation, and give us an assessment uh, and some thoughts and recommendations. Some of the things that they wanted us to, or they encouraged us to go back and take a look at, um, had to do with the business model itself. Um, should we have a bundled service that has a single fee for everything? Um, do we need to move to a single hauler ordinance? Um, most cities um, are the single hauler for residential within the city. Um, we have kind of a unique competitive system here in Grand Rapids. It's not entirely unique. I mean, there's some other communities that do that, but typically if there's a competitive system, then the city's not in the market. Um, the current pay-it model uh, is a true pay-for-tip, so you only pay when your personal cart gets tipped, um, and that is extraordinarily unique in the collection space. Um, and then the consideration of user base fees versus the millage supported recycling program. Uh, you know, one of the issues that we have is that folks pay for the recycling through millage, so it kind of becomes virtually free to them. Uh, and when faced with the choice of putting something in the free cart or putting it in the cart that you have to pay to have tipped, uh, we have about a 20% contamination rate in our recycling because folks will quietly put garbage in the recycling. Um, and the county has told us that our contamination rate is, is easily twice what it is for the other uh, participating communities. So we've got to think about our own participation in the, in the sustainable business park. And that's a conversation that's going on right now. Um, but we do need to have a community-wide engagement and discussion about the model writ large. Um, and that's, as I mentioned, inside this room, but also in the community, because that is a pretty significant um, decision. Uh, but either way, uh, the costs have to get balanced going into the next fiscal year. Um, and we want to make sure that whatever decision we make, it's the decision that we make and that we, we have confidence moving forward, at least for the next decade, on how it is that we're managing our uh, refuse as a community. Mayor, <clears throat> I think we'll make it audible here since we have to turn over several people and just pause and see what questions the commission might have at this point. All right. Uh, thank you, city manager. I appreciate all the information. I don't really have a, a question. I'm pretty well briefed on a lot of these topics. Uh, I do want to say uh, that I, I, I agree with you that when it comes to our city and the work that we've do, we've been doing around water and infrastructure, 
all of us should be really proud, um, even when it comes to the work that came before all of us, and that is our sewer separation project. I talked to cities and mayors all over, and uh, they aren't even close to accomplishing a lot of what we have accomplished. Um, and even though we have hiccups with the biodigester that we will work out, um, I'm confident of, uh, that project also is one that cities all over this country are looking at right now. So um, I'm glad to see that we are still one of the leaders uh, and cutting edge leaders, I would say, in this space uh, and appreciate everyone who over the years has worked to get us to where we are today. So thanks. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments? I have one. Uh, I'll start down here with Commissioner Moody. Thank you, Bo, all of you, for this report. I um, have one question, uh, Mr. Matthews, in reference to the biodigester. In touring that plant, along with Commissioner Yasasi and I, uh, I was just concerned with the uh, cost of repairs. Uh, is that included in our budget? Uh, for, if, Like, for example, you just said that uh, we had a tank that went down and had to be replaced. Um, well, we, we didn't have a tank go down. We, the, the second tank has not been put into operation. So we, we intentionally fired up the first tank, make sure everything was running. And it's actually expandable beyond that uh, if we choose. We learned some things in the opening of that first tank, um, specifically around pressure and viscosity. Right. That are going to inform the opening of the second. That's coming forward as a BA for FY22. Um, we don't anticipate having any significant investments required going into 23. So outside of our regularly scheduled capital budgeting, there's nothing specifically budgeted for another fix on the biodigester, if that's your question. Okay. I apologize. I thought I, I, thought I heard something went down and had to be replaced. Uh, maybe I misunderstood. We, we are replacing, so the, the original pumps that were installed were a uh, split casing pump. You can open up the top of it to work on it. What we discovered was while that was easier to work on, it didn't maintain as much pressure inside the system. Um, so we are, they didn't break, but we are taking them out and we're working with the manufacturer on this. They've been a pretty good partner uh, to take those out with a closed case pump that's going to provide us the pressure that we need to continue to move things through the system. I see uh, Mr. DeLong and Grenier there flanking Are they me. hovering over my shoulder right <laughs> just, now? Just a head nod. Was that a result of our value engineering of the project? Um, the split case pump was not. Um, the split case pump was specced out by someone who's no longer here. Um, they felt like it was a good investment because from a staff perspective, we wouldn't have to open it. We wouldn't have to completely take it apart to work on it. Yeah. Um, as it turns out, while good idea from a maintenance standpoint, from an operational standpoint, it didn't work. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Commissioner O'Connor and then Commissioner Jones and I'll come over. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, a couple questions. One, uh, just as we talk about the electrification of our vehicle fleet, mm -hmm. uh, I know, you know, in the parking garage downstairs, there's some electrical vehicle charging stations, but just one thing I, we haven't talked about ever at, that I can remember at the diocese is just, you know, in, how we are continuing to invest in, you know, electrical vehicle charging infrastructure at various city-owned facilities, parking garages, parking lots, you know, parks, things of that nature. So just... Uh, would love to hear about that. Uh, second would be uh, just again as it relates to both uh, 
kind of the, the biodigester and the, the, uh, the you know, our, our waste refuse recycling streams, uh, you know, a lot of communities have uh, organic uh, composting recycling and how that, or, you know, organic matter in our waste stream relates to both, you know, the ability to potentially go to the digester. I know with the work we did at the yard waste facility to, to do recycling there, uh, you know, obviously if we're, uh, you know, have a lot of fat in our biodigester and, you know, we got a lot of you know, vegetables going into our uh, trash stream, you know, does that help offset that in some way that could be, you know, uh, you know, a little fiber in your life is good sometimes. So just, uh, you know, just wondering how that all works together, right? Like is, is that, uh, is, you know, as we try to reimagine how we deal with refuse and recycling and, and those well, things, and that's how that, how that all fits together. Yeah, I mean, it, it does raise, it does raise a question that we have raised at the county, which is if the largest proportion of our our solid waste, so our, our refuse, um, is organics, then are we shooting at the wrong target when we talk about recycling? And that's a really, I mean, that, that's a weird conversation to be having given that we've spent 40 years talking about recycling. Um, that if we're talking about a diversion from the landfill, the greatest amount of weight is in organics, and should we be leaning more into organics? And then maybe it does make sense to have a single collector that separates the rest of the stuff. Um, so those are some of the big conversations that we're having, is that are, are we shooting at the right target right now, given what it is that we see in the waste stream? And has, has the equation changed at all for, you know, I know that in the, infancy of the recycling center, you know, uh, dollars returned on certain uh, commodities were higher and that, you know, it, it sank considerably over the, you know, the, the, over the, the first 10 years. And, you know, obviously the, with inflation and the way things are happening now, is, has, those, has that equation changed at all? Are there, are, are we, is there more revenue being generated with recyclables due to global supply chain issues and things of that nature? Um, it has. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding is that uh, they're, they're on target likely to have their best year yet this year um, after things bottomed out a few years back. Um, now, that doesn't really affect the, the final calculations um, because they've got a big capital bill coming on, on that as well. Um, we have talked to them about, okay, well, how do we hedge this so that so that we can balance that equation because it's really hard to, to, to talk in the context of recycling when rec recycling tip fees are exactly the same as waste to energy tip fees. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're removing the incentive for the consumer to change their behavior. Um, so those are some of the hard conversations that we've got, that we're having there. Um, but they're also conversations that we've got to have as a community. Um, and what do we as individual homeowners invest in that system, uh, in the future? Because what we learned from the report is that the combination of millage in our current per tip, uh, quasi competitive system on the ground. Um, isn't sustainable, and the, and the numbers bear that out. Uh, not to mention, and I actually failed to mention the other sustainability aspect here, both from an infrastructure and an air quality standpoint, um, you're going to have more damage to your road. Well, we do have more damage to our roads, and we have more CO2 emissions on our residential streets because you could have three or four different trucks driving the same route every week. Um, so those are some of the things that, that we want to be able to talk about this year. Yeah. And that's why, Commissioner, at the county level with DPW, we're talking about moving to a blended rate so that you don't have the cheapest option being landfill, which is what 
the last place we want to take our, our trash is landfill. So there's a lot of conversations we're having about that very thing. So, uh, Commissioner Jones. Oh, oh, sorry. I was just going to respond to your electrification question. It is something Mr. Nairmore, formerly Mr. Reamer, and now Mr. Prince and I have been talking about, both looking at electrification both for our own fleet as well as how are we supporting the transition to electric vehicles across the community. Um, they're historically the cost of electric vehicles has been pretty substantially higher than other vehicles and there wasn't a large supply historically that was driving that so with I think recent changes um, and a drive and obviously the commitments from our own automobile manufacturers here in the state we're looking to see those costs come down and be more affordable um, I do know that Mr. Naramore could speak to it but it's my understanding I think that we're getting ready to do um, an RFP and look at some potential expansion of more um, charging stations so I'll let him go ahead and speak to the charging station infrastructure. So just really quickly, so we have five public charging stations and 10 ports, and then we've been adding our fleet to better support our fleet operations. So we're currently, the state is working on, as part of the infrastructure bill, there's a large set aside for creating the, like, the statewide charging network. And then also the utility providers are working on some, some subsidies to help work with local communities. We're going to be working as part of the climate change work to be able to identify the expansion of that more locally. It's a chicken and egg piece, though, because there's only 17,000 registered vehicles in the state of Michigan currently, and the average price is $56,000. So in terms of our equity initiatives, we've been focusing a little bit more intentionally on the expansion of electrified other types of fleet vehicles. And then also, we're, uh, we'll, I won't tip it off, but there's another portion of that that we'll highlight during the mobility presentation of a way we're going to expand the accessibility of electrification through like a community-based car share program. Program. So you're saying it's easier to plug in a scooter? <laughs> well, it's it, well, scooters, e-bikes, e-cargo bikes, of which I'm an owner of and user, and there's a lot more applications of that, of which municipalities are starting to do that for sharing programs, for supporting local businesses, and other things that we'd look to expand that on. But really, it's trying to look at renting, like through a car share program, to make it more accessible to more of our community than being able to own them at the current rate in which they are. Thanks. I just, the last Thanks, point I'll Josh. add is as we add on electricity, right, for EVs, we have to be mindful that that, of course, increases the amount we have to offset with renewables. And right now, um, with number 28, uh, the um, slide 28, wondering about the potential of expanding the um, installation of air quality sensors beyond downtown and along Cesar Chavez Avenue. And, and what's the possibility there? Simply because of the, just the real concern historically of urban cores um, being the place where you have significantly poor air quality. And I'm wondering if, uh, A, how, how, is, uh, how are things going thus far with, with just air, but also beyond that, the potential of it expanding beyond uh, Cesar Chavez in the downtown area? So my understanding historically, once we started working with Just Air, um, it was there was a lot of partnership with DGRI in mm -hmm. terms of identifying areas with some philanthropy as well. And Cesar Chavez was a main area identified for installing some of the sensors. I'd have to go back and confirm the number, but I feel that it's around 35 to 40 current air sensors. Um, just had a presentation from Mr. Darren Riley, mm -hmm. um, I think last week, and really um, doing some phenomenal things on the sensor data, being able to show people it's accessible online. I'd be happy to share with 
with you all the dashboard link as well where you can go on and sign up for updates. But the other good news is um, the city was a collaborative partner as well as um, the C4 and some of the other organizations in EH0 to apply for a pretty large EPA grant that they recently announced specifically around expanding some air sensors. Hmm. It's my understanding we probably won't hear until about September, but um, I can confirm it was a pretty large grant request to take that and really start to expand that and build out to more neighborhoods at that time if we're able to be successful with that grant application. Very good. Thank you. And Chavez, as, as you might know, was chosen specifically because it's one of the primary industrial heavy equipment routes through, yeah. Yeah. All right, Commissioner Lanier. Thank you. Thank you so much for the presentation. And City Manager, I think we need to add the Naramore Sprint <laughs> um, to counter the Canfield stroll. Um, but um, just a few questions and comments. Um, the first one is on slide 25 um, for the MLK Lodge. Um, I'm, I'm asking every time it's brought up just to, regarding the timeline for that. I'm also noticing this depiction that's in this picture. I don't know if this um, water um, feature here is being considered, but obviously that would be outside of the lodge. So I'm curious about that. That's a different part. Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure if we were trying to depict that with King or not, but thought I'd ask. Um, you all want me to just go through all of them? I'll do that. And then um, I'm excited about the electronic, um, the excuse me, electric golf court um, carts. And um, I think the navigation would be helpful. I, I know of someone, no names mentioned, who did get lost on the course. That wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me. Everybody's looking around to see who but they are on this dais. Um, <laughs> and I was with them, so we both got lost. But anyway, um, and um, the other question is regarding, I, th thank you for bringing the biosolids um, conversation as well as the recycling conversation here. And I'm curious to know kind of what does this increase of 1.3 or 1.5, um, what does that add to the bottom line for the biodigester? And I think we have heard this is the last time, this is the last cost. So to hear that again, yeah. I'm not really believing it, um, but I am curious to know what does that bring the total to for the biodigester? And then um, the other one is I, I think this – I'm hoping that there'll be, um, this has been robust in, in itself regarding the refuse recycling conversation, but I'm hopeful that we can have a very specific conversation about this because mm -hmm. this is convoluted and I'm just, I need to separate it a little bit so that I can fully understand what's being proposed here. So good to see those nods that that's going to happen. Yeah. I think also, you know, I'm curious about um, the educational opportunities. That's the same for the biodigester. I don't know if if oils and I forget what else you said are the culprit. Fog. You know, Flats, oils, and greases. You're calling it flog? Fog. Fog. Mm -hmm. So then is there something that is that does that become an educational opportunity for the public and what is it that we need to do differently individually in our households to impact that and counter that? Um, the other thing with refuse is I'm curious if we were to consider and maybe this is a down the road um, question but if we were to consider um, making the city the single provider, um, 
does that include um, businesses or is that only residential? And then when we come back to that, how, how does that breakdown really impact, like we were talking about the road um, impact and all of that, if, if, if commercial um, businesses are still allowed to have their own provider, then is there really, will there really be as much of a difference as we're hoping for? Um, and I think that's it. All right, <clears throat> Commissioner, I'll start with Martin Luther King Lodge. Um, we are in final design right now with community outreach uh, occurring here in the month of June. We intend to bring a contractor on board to help with uh, pre-bidding uh, documents this summer um, with the intent of bidding this project by the end of this year for construction to begin next season. Um, so we're excited about that process. Um, we're, along with the GPS, we've got Bluetooth, so uh, bring your phone to the golf course. Uh, you can pull up your favorite tunes. So. All right, and uh, did you want to, did you clarify about the water, the splash pad that was depicted? Yeah, my apologies. That splash pad is uh, from Garfield Park. Uh, we'll be constructing that with an MDNR grant here this season as well. Perfect, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. And then the total cost of the uh, biodigester year to date? Yeah, I'll... Uh, We'll we'll get that back to you um, that prior to the the item being brought back on uh, first meeting in June. Thank you. Great. Thanks. All right. Did you I, anyone else want to respond? And then I'll go. Ahead I just know the last part. question for the single source provider for recycling. Um, I do know that historically we provided services uh, specifically to residents through the CART program. There's been expansion. Um, to offer the cart service to businesses, typically smaller businesses that have the ability to do that. Um, but it was about a year ago, a little more, um, we actually went into a pilot of the city facilities using our own DPW service for recycling. And it was one of the first times where they purchased some trucks that are needed to then service larger dumpsters instead of carts. And my understanding is that pilot's been going quite well. And so I think the idea there that would be a part of the conversation in terms of identifying whether our um, department could be providing that single stream recycling service to businesses throughout the community in addition to the residential customers we serve. Right. Thank you. Thanks. And we will make a time doing a uh, commission work session to brief specifically on refuse and recycling. To your point, it is, um, it is a complex uh, topic. And for uh, we were going through it the other day, and when we speak about tipping fees, there's a tip fee per cart, but there's also the tip rate for haulers per ton, and that can be even confusing when we discuss the, the tipping costs as well. So we'll, we'll come back and have another discussion another time. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Ruppert, and then yeah. Commissioner Isasi. Thanks. Good to talk about climate. The thing I was most excited to talk about in the budget. Um, a couple, of, a couple of questions. So that's what I'm hearing, I just want to make sure I'm hearing it right. The conversation about waste to energy, sustainable business park, we're going to have that later. Or are you looking for questions and thoughts now? I got um, a host of them, but I can hold them. I feel like with similar to similar to the refuse and recycling, it's something we're going to want to come back and have a conversation about. Okay. So we're actively involved in that conversation with the county and with the partners. And there's going to be a point in that conversation where we're going to have enough information. We need to bring it back and have a policy conversation. Okay. We're Great. not there yet, but okay. we will. Uh, I've got lots of thoughts about that, so I'll hold those until then. But um, I think, uh, first of all, I want to you know, applaud the, 
the horizon topics and this this uh, that we're going to get to this community-wide goal that we're going to embed it into the master plan process um, the one thing that I wanted to ask about because Butterworth landfill solar was on here a couple of times but it wasn't in the capital project budget and I I did look ahead and I didn't see it in the future presentation so would love to hear kind of when we'll hear about Butterworth solar and what that horizon looks like and then wanted to just kind of place on the horizon topics list um, and I spoke to the mayor about this as well as uh, the p potential about using some of our ARPA funds that remain for a green revolving energy fund internal to the city. Uh, we have folks in town here who've set those up, one in the city of Orlando, the other one at Calvin College, start with a modest amount of money and are now able to make, you know, five, ten years later, pretty significant investments um, as those funds have grown and, and we have some expertise to lean into that. So just wanted to kind of place that on the horizon topic list potentials for discussion, but uh, the main question I have is around Butterworth. Yeah. Well, I, Allison was, was advised by, by her boss um, <laughs> that, that it, was, it was early for us to put a capital projection in for Butterworth because it is a partnership with Consumers Energy. Um, and we don't know what that number might look like. We don't know what our portion of it might look like because, of course, we're looking at the entire footprint of Butterworth. Um, but we also don't know if that partnership is going to actually happen. Sure. I mean, we got to be practical about it. Um, and we like to, in the capital plan, we like to plan for the things that we're actually going to be able to do. Um, so we made the decision that's something that if we get to the point where this becomes real, then we're going to come back and have a conversation uh, in terms of a BA. Yeah. That's also um, gives us time to see how some of this infrastructure funding plays out. Because mm -hmm. um, ideally, with some of the things that are in the pipeline, we've got things that we can pull from from the state and federal level to cover our portion of whatever it might be. Okay. Um, so it was just, it was premature for us to put it in as a, as a defined capital expense. That, that's a fine answer. Thank you. Yeah. And Commissioner, I would encourage you to, um, any of the, the questions you have around the, the refuse or, um, you know, waste and the sustainable business park and biodigester, uh, if you can get those in writing and then may, staff will be able to answer those questions when they come back, come back. It is a complicated I would say complicated system and partnership with the county. Um, and then in the midst of it right now, we're working with a consultant to do an analysis for us. Uh, and that is not quite done just yet. Um, so I would say it does probably need to be a, a larger conversation and briefing uh, in the next few months, I would say, once we're a little bit further down the road. Mayor, in respect to the question about the green um, energy fund or the revolving loan fund. I think if we are talking about the use of um, federal funds for ARPA, the life of that would be limited for only the ARPA period. We'd have to obligate it by 2024 and have it all expended by 2026. So unlike the other benchmarks you referenced that were more 10-year um, longevity in terms of funding, we'd, we'd have to Certainly we can look at doing something in the immediate short term, but if we were looking at a more sustainable fund, we'd have to think about creative, creatively how we would create that funding for it. So similar to my question earlier, 
I, these two contacts that I've had, I've had wonderful conversations with them. Who, who's the best person for me to make an introduction? For, for the, the to for explore the, that the yeah. the inner workings of that because those were set up with municipal funds yeah. or institutional for, funds. for the revolving loan fund um, our CFO in um, <coughs> our sustainability office would be a good contact for that. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Isasi. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thanks for the presentation, and um, I think a couple of my questions were asked. I also think that. This is this goes back to an opportunity around communications is that for some people climate change and climate adaptation they question what does that mean and I think the more that we can spell out what that means for the city of Grand Rapids um, is, is something good and I know that you are an ardent supporter from probably 20 years ago when we first met uh, Ms. Sutter um, but I think that and I think that um, whatever we can do to continue to showcase that this is a long-term investment that is that many of us may not see the impact of, but that we should be making it appropriately. So I just wanted to add that in there as we think about how we disseminate information to community. So that's one comment. Um, as you were mentioning the public sort of safety or public service announcement, Commissioner Lanier, I thought to uh, Commissioner Kelly's ardent support to ensure that nobody flushes wipes in this city. Um, I think that might have been on her signature page at, or signature line at some point. Um, and uh, Mr. Grenier, we went, I think when we went for that uh, visit, you can see that uh, little example um, um, at the site. And so I'm looking at other investments that we're making in parks and going back to some of the maximizing pieces that I talked about in the workforce development. You know, we're going to make some investments in free summer day camps, which is amazing, a free senior wellness program, more youth engagement. And so those are, I think, you know, I remember being in school and talking about recycling and, and talking about these things that probably weren't very clear to me as a young person, but those are how our habits are created. Um, and so just looking for ways that we can embed that language around the fogs, or is that what you called it? Things that, um, you know, and I also think there are some other cultural dynamics, like in Latino community, everybody has like a little, you have a little tin can that has all your grease from everything that you cook. <laughs> and uh, you know not to put it down the, the drain because somebody's going to get you if you do that. Um, and so I think there's also, you know, it's it's kind of a joke, but not really. There are, We are talking about cultural dynamics and other parts of city services. So I think I wanted to elevate that as well. And then um, lastly, with the seasonal staff hiring challenges, you know, I think that that's going to be common across the board, no matter what department we're talking about. It is um, certainly at these entry level points. We were talking about that um, just on our lunch break about how many jobs per person we probably have in the city. And Mayor was thinking about, um, you know, just the promise zone and obviously all the young people that are being sort of captured in that. And I watched some really cool TikTok videos of young people who are talking about how they're saving money because they have the um, access to the Promise Scholarship. And so I don't know how we're connected. Obviously, I know you serve on that body and others do as well, but, um, and, and we have to contend and, and be competitive, right, with other with other businesses and those that might pay more uh, more in different wages that might be outside of what we can do. Um, but I just wanted to see how we're connecting uh, the opportunities we might have to, uh, you know, certainly that, um, that captive audience. So thanks. That's great. And we have a great marketing 
firm that works with us for the chromosome. <laughs> I'll, I'll send that Good to David Green. <laughs> and if I can, Mayor, uh, Commissioner Isasi, I, in the interest of time, one of the countermeasures that's actually mentioned in here on slide 35 is, is implementation of a fat soils and greases education program. Um, I do want to mention as well that uh, one of the shifts that we're making in refuse and recycling is actually repurposing one of their positions to do um, community education work as well. Uh, so those are some things that we've been thinking about as well. Yeah. Thanks. All right. I think we will move on to the next section then, yep. City Manager. Okay. Thank you, Mayor. Talk about stormwater. We're going to ask stormwater, and in, in, uh, we're going to try to continue the briefing all the way to the end. Yeah, so that's fine. If that's okay. So let's uh, get all of our presenters queued up. Mobility is right after that. And we have uh, Jack Barr, Mike Rainier, and Kerry Rivette. It's going to help us with this. And uh, is uh, Mr. Naramore close? Because their presentation is pretty, pretty brief. So we're going to hold the questions until after we get to mobility and vinyl streets. Okay. Oh. Jack Byer with Niederveld locally. I'm a civil engineer. I serve as the vice chair of Stormwater Oversight Commission. I've been on since its inception. So we've seen some change, uh, some good change at the city. So we're here to give you our annual report. Um, Stormwater Oversight Commission, in case you're not familiar, we're charged with supporting and advocating the goals and objectives of the established uh, 2013 Stormwater Asset Management Plan the city has. Uh, we also monitor the changing stormwater uh, needs of the city. Um, we talk a lot about some of the things you've been talking about with climate change and um, have recommended revisions to the city stormwater ordinance based on those climate changes. Um, we look at some of the programs and the priorities for funding and uh, we re review uh, the investments of the income tax extension dedicated for vital streets. So we work closely with vital streets. Next slide. Good. Okay. Uh, th this is uh, the makeup of the Stormwater Oversight Commission. We have a diverse background of educations and expertise. I'm a civil engineer. The county drain commissioner is on the commission. We have construction workers. Uh, we have member of the Chamber of Commerce, member of WEMIAC, um, college university professors, um, and people from the industry. So we have a good background of interests and, and groups. Um, so as you, as you know from uh, hearing earlier today, stormwater picks up a lot of harmful pollutions like trash and chemicals, soil and sediments. Um, so if not managed property, all that stuff ends up in our river. Um, we've got a lot of initiatives to make the river an attractive amenity, and we don't want all those things to end up in the river. So a uh, really important topic, um, uh, stormwater program and the low impact development portion of the vital streets or ways that we're working to improve the stormwater quality and protect those downstream communities uh, once the river passes through our community. Public education is, uh, next slide, public education uh, is one way that we're doing that, um, working with, let's see the slides out of order. Our slides are, I can, I can no, that, that's the slide that's in the packet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the stormwater investments, uh, if you can see the slide, the circled number in 2014 was 
about four million dollars uh, devoted to that, and our level C goal is about uh, just over ten million dollars, and we're projecting in 22 to to hit that uh, ten million dollar goal for level C funding, which was established um, as as the goal for the community. Um, so you can see from 2016, we've steadily been increasing our funding for stormwater investment. Uh, so this slide represents some of the projects that um, come through the Stormwater Oversight Commission that uh, staff undertakes with, in partnership. Uh, a lot of these projects are funded by Section 319 grants through EGLE, and we work closely with WEMIAC, Elgro, Plaster Creek Stewards. Um, a lot of those organizations help us with the planting and the implementation of the programs. Um, upper left corner is a project we did in 2021, which Elger Heights neighborhood uh, stream in the backyards of, of lots that was highly eroded, um, causing a lot of sediments to go downstream. So um, we created some uh, st stability to the outfall, slowed it down with a pool, and then uh, kind of armored and protected the, the waterway to prevent sediments from further going downstream. Uh, upper right corner is uh, uh, Kind of an alley improvement um, in the uh, Marshall and Burton alleys. There wasn't enough room in, in Bart, um, Burton and Eastern to do some of the uh, street work that would be necessary to control and contain the stormwater. So a different way to do it is in the alley. That alley is largely unimproved. So in this case, we'll be improving the alley with uh, leaching, catch basin, leaching catch basins and porous pavement to handle and treat the stormwater where it falls instead of just sending it downstream. Um, so again, uh, a grant project uh, working in conjunction with Wemiak and Elgro uh, for that. And Mike, Carrie, you want to pick up a, a detail in numbers? So these are, as Jack noted before, um, and thank you, Jack. Um, I really appreciate that we have so many volunteers that are willing to take their time and come here today and meet with us and help us make our decisions. Um, so one of the things Stormwater Oversight Commission is charged with is making sure we're spending enough on green infrastructure and streets. And I'm going to say this isn't my favorite graph that I've been presenting through the years. It looks like we haven't done a lot. We've done, um, I think we're infiltrating from projects, still about $340,000 or gallons from last year. Um, one of the big things is one of our biggest projects we had for Vital Streets was Market. And... Most of you should be aware by now that we had PFAS in the groundwater there, so we can't add extra groundwater and mark it. And this is why we do it where we can, because we will find places and major projects where we aren't able to do it. However, on the really good side is um, we are now at our goal. So we have achieved our goal a year early for vital streets and green infrastructure portfolio standards and our strategic plan for how much groundwater we are infiltrating. Um, we've made some major progress and looked carefully at our numbers last year and found out that we are doing really, really well. So while we will have up and down years, we're doing incredibly well. We still need to work on how much we're treating for water quality. That's a, a bit of a different animal to treat that first inch of runoff, which is what's carrying all the pollutants from how many acres of the city. So we're making progress, but that one's going a little more slowly. Um, capital investment program. This is shown, you know, we're still, we had grants that we mentioned for Elger. Um, 
we've got a grant for Glen Echo Stream Bank stabilization, or we don't. Capital, Elger's grants and capital, Glen Echo is coming and that is going to be all capital. And then we get into the Highlands, which is another combination of capital being used as match for grant to expand the project. This is the Highlands and we just got bids and they actually came in a decent range. So we should be looking at construction soon. Yeah, it was a great surprise because it's not happening these days. Uh, by September, we should have a stream where we used to have a 48-inch pipe, and it'll be in 1,500 feet long section. You can see that it's made to meander. It's got some flood shelf storage. Um, should make a great improvement to water quality that's going to Indian Mill Creek, which is our second most impacted stream in the city. So. Um, we're continuing to invest our capital, as we have said we would, both by um, getting some of the old projects that have been around for a long time that were listed in our capital improvement and asset management plan, and by partnering like we are for Seymour Square um, to make projects in the, in the neighborhood where things have opportunities come along. And our big goals, um, other big goal of Stormwater Oversight Commission is to making sure we're getting to level C of service. Um, so we've gotten the spending and we're seeing, with the exception of catch basin cleaning last year, and we were a little close on it two years ago and just barely didn't make it, we are meeting all of our level C of service goals in FY21 and our goal was to get that by FY22. So we're getting there. The catch basins is related um, to the Vector dump station, which is related to the digester and the fog that we had talked about. Um, the Vector dump station was contributing to a lot of that, so it really limited the catch basin sediment. Stormwater sediment is a different animal and it's hard to get through, so we had to limit the amount that was deposited. Between the fact that we are now 100% through all of our catch basins, we have completed that. Um, so we should see less sediment in the future, and we're tracking that. And then with the pump improvement for the digester, we shouldn't have any problem again getting back to that level C for catch basins. It's, you know, a, a few quirky things have, have hindered us, but we're on our way. And um, yeah, the investments that you have all approved over the years are showing, and we're getting to a really good place where we can start looking again and saying, okay, we've seen all this. Now how do we want to tweak it to do the most effective program we can? And so again, this is preventative maintenance, and it's only the catch basins that we had issues with. And Mike wants to close this out. I'll go ahead and take the last slide. It's more of a look forward on things that will be coming to you. Uh, we received our new MS4 permit, Municipal Separated Storm, Storm Sewer System Permit from the state of Michigan in September of last year. Um, we're going through the, our reviews and getting ready to go ahead. We'll be coming to you in probably late June or July for a, uh, to have the ordinance updated so that we can go ahead and take the things that we have to do to keep Eagle happy get that into our code so that we can roll that out to people. We'll also be able to uh, uh, roll out to you at that point in time our stormwater trading program. Um, this is a very innovative program that we're using at the municipal level that we'll be able to trade and bank stormwater credits. It should lower the cost for our, our developers, should give us extra stormwater capacity in the system and just be an overall good thing. So uh, more to come. And then uh, 
once this is, goes through commission, you guys give us the approval on the code updates. We'll bring this back to the Stormwater Oversight Commission and again, update them and we'll look at policy, how we're gonna go forward with the stuff that Carrie talked about. So what happens next after level C? All right. Nice. I'll, uh, I'll start uh, with just two comments, uh, no questions. One, I'm glad you brought up the Stormwater Credit Program. It really is innovative. Oh, wait, you want us to wait, don't you? Sorry, city manager. See, this is what happens when I there's know, not a cool sorry, transition by the team. I was so eager. I was so eager. See, you know, the pause is, man, come right Can't in there. Pause. You gotta keep it moving, keep it moving. Okay, now we want to uh, ask Mayor if we could, and that way we can get through, because we do have members from public safety uh, who are here, if we can get through all the briefings. Yes, so we the will, mobility sorry. team will come. Jump the gun. And Mr. Naramore, Ms. Barons, Mr. DeVries, Mr. Channing. But I am going to thank Jack and all the members of our Stormwater Oversight Committee. Thank so appreciate you giving your time and talent. Don't, to don't go too work. far. Uh, Mike, Carrie, if you just sit in front row, so when they have questions. All right. Keep going. Sorry, I'm going to shut my mic up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Rick. Thank you. Day. So we are on to the <clears throat> mobility strategic plan focus area. That's innovative, efficient, and equitable mobility solutions that are safe, affordable, and convenient to the community. Uh, so I will talk a little bit about um, our activities related to the commission's focus areas of uh, climate COVID relief and climate change here for fiscal year 2022. Um, as you know, a big focus of uh, COVID relief and small business support was through our social zones policies uh, and mobile GR and in, in this mobility outcome, we supported those goals by helping with the layout of those social zones, overseeing installation of uh, the, some of the barriers in the field and maintenance of those things that were keeping people safe. I do wanna flag here this particular photograph highlights Luna on Ionia Street, which was one of the first to install curb level platforming as part of the social zone that made that area more accessible to people. And that is one of the things that we want to focus on moving forward. Around the area of, of climate change in mobility, obviously there's a lot of overlap between our overall strategic plan goals and the goals of uh, reducing carbon emissions and otherwise addressing or trying to move the needle on climate change. Um, so for example, we have, our, have had our pilot program about e-scooters, so back to electrification of fleet. Um, and we anticipate bringing forward before the end of the fiscal year a program to make that permanent. Um, we also have made a number of pedestrian improvements in fiscal year 2022 that helps make uh, walking and using alternative modes uh, more comfortable for everybody. I'll highlight a couple. Um, the De DeVos River Trail crossing flash and beacon was installed this year. Uh, we also completed the final 40 pedestrian countdown signal locations. Um, in addition, we've done some planning to uh, move along more pedestrian improvements for construction in 2023. And then turning to a number of our other objectives within the mobility strategic plan, uh, hitting some highlights for 2022, we did a commuter survey on return to work in the fall of 2021 to help inform some of our new parking and mobility programming uh, offerings. I think the pandemic and people's utilization of mass transit continues to be one of the areas um, that's hard to predict how how that how fast that will come back and people's uh, willingness to use uh, mass transit. In addition, um, we 
expanded our traffic calming program in fiscal year 2022. So again, with safety as the foundation of our overall mobility system, we, intend, we continue to invest dollars in that value. Uh, finally, I want to flag that in uh, fiscal year 2022, we did transfer parking enforcement from police to uh, mobile GR. And uh, that is something that uh, we believe has benefits to the community overall. Looking now to our strategic 2023 investments, I want to highlight that the overall total city appropriations in this strategic priority total $80.8 million. I'll uh, flag a few of our major investments, again, looking at your climate change uh, near-term focus area. Back to the electrification, we uh, do have two new Chevy Bolts in service or anticipate adding those in fiscal year 23 to help with our parks uh, parking operations work. We are also installing additional fleet charging stations. Uh, we also want to continue uh, working, we will be relying on some ARPA funding. I want to flag that for fiscal year 2023 as revenue replacement. Uh, we'll have to see how the year plays out over time in terms of how much we'll have to tap in to help us um, maintain our operations. On the capital improvement side, we are making investments back into some of our parking access uh, revenue equipment replacements, and we are completing some accessibility improvements at both at here, at Government Center, as well as Pearl, Ionia, and, and Louis Campo. Uh, we also are going to uh, continue to work with community partners on some mobility equity projects. So I want to highlight uh, one uh, Mr. Naramore alluded to just in the last presentation. That is a car share pilot program. So that would be electrical vehicles um, focused in our neighborhoods of focus. We will be partnering with um, many of our community partners to help us with that engagement and outreach. We are leaning on some of those same partners now to engage with the community community around uh, safe community issues. Um, so the timing of that will be a little bit uh, dependent upon the capacity of those partners to work with us, but we anticipate it early in the fiscal year. Uh, we also are investing $100,000 for equity-based mobility passes to, again, allow uh, everyone in the community to take advantage of these opportunities. We're continuing to in invest in traffic safety projects, so every mobility system has at its foundation safety, and we are continuing with a number of investments around safety, um, including improving the crossing at the intersection with Plaster Creek Trail, um, some other signal replacements, and Vision Zero pedestrian safety improvements as well. All right, so with that, I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive um, into an issue of parking fees. So unlike some of the other deeper dives we've had so far, the uh, parking fee information that I'm going to go over now is actually included in the preliminary budget. So I just want to make uh, that distinction. So two fees to call your attention to. One is fees around social zones. So as we continue to work with our small businesses um, around the parklet program and expand and set that more into place. Uh, we are setting some uh, updated fees and processes to create more uh, the ability to sustain that program over time. In addition, as I mentioned, we are going to uh, emphasize ADA access um, and ramping, so fees will help support that. Uh, we have not been charging fees since this program was established in 2020. Uh, the proposed fees would help us recover costs for the program 
administration and installation. Important to note, we will be working closely with our, uh, with our users here to help them plan for these fees. We will not be instituting those until November 1st of 2022, and we will be doing outreach uh, and informing folks about those fees. The uh, second set of fees around parking rate uh, are parking rate increases. Um, and so again, those are really to help us uh, stay uh, in line with other private parking vendors in certain categories, as well as helping us uh, maintain sort of some of our cost recovery objectives and deal with program administration cost increases. This slide, this gives you a little bit more data about parking revenues and our experience with parking revenues. Uh, particularly, you can see the dive that was, uh, that happened with the pandemic, not unsurprising. One of the impacts of that loss of revenue, uh, pretty significant loss of revenue, was that we uh, made the choice to transfer some capital funding back into operations to allow us to continue to do our base level operations. Um, we also, uh, spent into some of our unassigned cash revenues. So those are two things that we uh, need to, to feather back out of our response. We are seeing revenues coming back now as events in some of our key, key venues come back online. Uh, we also have seen some ongoing cost increases, not surprising to the commission, you're hearing about it, that in many of our other uh, operational areas as well. So both uh, staffing costs and some other fees and costs associated with our program have gone up. Also want to um, talk a little bit about the reliance that we had, again, to address the loss of revenue. We did um, make some of those capital transfers that I spoke to before. Uh, we do. Uh, anticipate moving away from that strategy and again uh, we want to start building up our uh, building up that base and reinvesting in our asset here um, and that is part of the rate strategy as well this table just gives you a little bit of a comparison of how our rates uh, compare particularly that half hour rate is what we are talking about increasing in this budget year um, and this just allows you to see how that compares with uh, the private vendors. With that, I will turn to the horizon issues in the mobility framework. So just a couple things to flag as we look to the future. Uh, we continue to evaluate the DASH program uh, and potential changes that may be very important for us in 2023. Um, we have been working with RAPID uh, to support that program and we will be evaluating both user needs and costs and sustainability over time. In addition, our traffic signal system uh, is something that we continue to monitor and look to uh, for the future. The city currently owns 216 signals and 31 flashing devices. The expected life of a signal is 20, 25 years. Um, 51 of our signals, uh, or about 20%, are overdue for replacement. And another 35% will need to, be, need to be replaced in the next 35 years, or in the next five years. Sorry, 35 years wouldn't be that big of an issue. Issue, uh, the next five years, um, but our current funding does not allow for us to replace as many as we would need to to keep pace with uh, that life cycle expectation. 
Oops, sorry. And finally, uh, pedestrian needs, we will continue to work on sidewalk, pedestrian crossing infrastructure, um, and particularly focused on tapping into the state and federal funding dollars that are available to make those kinds of sidewalk and trail connections. And with that, I will turn it over for the vital streets overview. Thank, thank you, Ms. Behrens. And Mr. Channing, if you want to create more social distance, feel free to use the podium there while you speak. Everybody. All right, good. Okay, I've never used this system before. Last time I presented, I was uh, online. So it's been an interesting two years. Um, I'm Matt Channing. I'm the chair of the Vital Streets Oversight Commission. It's good to see some familiar faces up here. Um, I'm a Ward 2 resident, so I appreciate the opportunity to be invited here and, uh, and present on our annual report. So, um, is there a slide change coming? Let's see. All right, you got me? Okay. All right, um, so prior to our um, the 2014 0.2% uh, income tax extension, there were several guidelines created for how to spend, you know, promises to the community at large of what we would do with um, the Vital Streets dollars. Um, and we're happy to let you inform you all uh, that we are compliant with all the spending guidelines currently. Um, and we're going to carry that tradition going forward. Um, in this presentation, we'll be having a few people um, talk about the different uh, expertise areas. Um, so I'll be providing a high-level overview uh, of some metrics and spending um, and looking, projecting to the next year. And then I'll be passing it over to other staff. So this uh, next slide just shows some, some key metrics that we use to, to guide the work. Um, we have a couple of, of guiding um, North Stars. One of them is the good and fair condition of our roads. So um, in 2013, the Sustainable Streets Task Force recommended uh, including these metrics. And so you can see um, at that time, 60% of the roads were poor and we projected by 2019 with no new investments, we'd be 87% poor. So looking at the other um, companion graph to this, we were able to reverse that trend with the investments made by VSOC dollars. Uh, we're now 62% uh, fair and good, um, which is a good place to be. Um, and then almost about 25% of our roads are in the solid good condition. So the bottom uh, graph there just shows a time scale of what our investments will be. We're going to be ramping up after 2022, so this coming fiscal year, um, until we're able to hit that 70% metric of good or fair. Mr. DeRees assures me we might be there actually ahead of time, um, so, so stay tuned for that. Um, and this, the bump you see in 2022 uh, is owed to a couple factors, one being uh, projected revenue decreases. Um, that we might have saw, and then ongoing supply chain issues related to uh, the ongoing pandemic um, has made it a little bit more difficult to, to get what we need um, for road repairs and maintenance. So um, planned investments you know, will include um, road repair and reconstruction on our federal aid roads um, and local streets. Go ahead and turn that. All right. So this is where we're looking at spending in 2023. You know, between 2015 and 2022, we spent about $151 million, looking at about $23 million uh, in 2023. I'm sorry, 14.8 um, for about 29 miles of streets. Um, and again, maintaining the 62% good and fair. And then you'll see the, the bottom um, graph there is a really cool comparison of, of where we've shifted uh, in, in the good and fair. Um, and 
the fact that we're able to maintain during the pandemic our rating has been, um, I think, a, a benefit to the city and a remark on the, the staff doing this work. Um, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to, to Rick to go deeper into the finances on it. Well, thank you, Matt, and uh, thank you, everyone. Um, so we, we do pull together all of the sources and uses because there are various funding sources, and um, this mirrors the Sustainable Streets Task Force and what they were expecting as well. A couple of things to highlight on the sources side of it. Uh, it will be a, overall a $28 million investment. Um, there, there is shown, you'll see, uh, no general operating fund dollars for this coming year. If you recall, we used, we forward dollars for three years um, to pay the 2021 bond issue, the part of the $50 million that we advanced work. Um, the, the other things to note with the, the funding, the sources side is we've, we've now exceeded the uh, 6 million that we were expecting from the state of Michigan when the program first started. Um, we're also projecting that the um, income tax amount going forward will increase. As, as Matt indicated, uh, during the pandemic, uh, the projections were reduced and, and now they're back uh, to about where we thought we would be now in 2020. On the uh, uses side, a couple of things to note. Um, we're recommending an increase in the um, green infrastructure and right-of-way maintenance. That's done by Public Works. Um, we're also uh, continuing the $125,000 investment in uh, neighborhood uh, traffic calming. So that's that's through uh, traffic safety, and as well as um, you can see that we're investing more in the federal aid um, system. That, that's due to a couple of things, an increase in the amount of grants that we're receiving for that system as well as the investment of others. So one of the things that we track is one of our core values is the balance and distribution. Um, as we've talked before, it's a annual course correction. So in FY 2023, uh, you're seeing more investment in, in the second ward. Um, and then soon thereafter, uh, we're balanced between all three wards. So we're asked how we select streets and um, there's a number of factors that go into that uh, that are listed here, as well as other things. Um, we've talked here before about lead water service replacements. That's entered into our vital streets program and trying to make sure that uh, we're coordinating that effort. Um, but, but these are some of the factors that go into it. Um, just a reminder that we do invest in the temporary paving program, so that's done by our public works department, and they do a great job. So what that does is it takes the poorest streets and uh, keeps them in decent shape until we can get to a more permanent repair. Uh, our sidewalk program, uh, John Hayes and the sidewalk team does a really great job. 
Uh, we're continuing with the systematic um, inspection and repair. So you'll see that in each of the wards. Um, we're also um, having a contract for citywide that comes from public requests. So that's an inspection and repair as well. Um, there is also the Americans with Disability Act ramp upgrades that we continue to work on with this program. It should be noted that within our, our, um, our vital streets projects, wherever there's, we inspect all of the sidewalks and all of the ramps, and so within a project, that work is done at project expense. So this is over and above that. Oh, the other, the other thing is the connectivity. So this fills in the gaps of the sidewalk system, uh, which is quite extensive. Um, we use federal grants typically with that, as well as both sidewalk dollars and vital streets dollars. But um, 44th Street, Eastern Avenue, uh, Kenosha Park, um, two sections of Coval, and then also Collindale are the ones that we're currently working on. The uh, engagement work by um, Juan Torres and, and uh, Molly Cartwright, uh, they're doing a great job. Here's some of the statistics on the work that they've done this year. Um, and in addition, uh, both public works and engineering staff uh, will help with um, calls that come in from 311 on on when is the street going to be done, or, or could you come and look at the condition of my street? Uh, wanted to highlight a few projects. So this was Hall Street reconstruction, uh, water main and lead water service replacement work. Uh, you can see in the picture the uh, porous pavement and the parking lanes. Uh, we did add bike facilities here and, and 90 uh, street trees as well. Uh, Godfrey Avenue was a reconstruction. We narrowed the street, um, added bike facilities both uh, on the southern end. Um, they were on street, and then uh, we have a, a protected bike lane on the northern section. Um, this was a water main replacement and sewer separation work that, that sets up that whole area for separation. Uh, Fulton Street was a water main replacement and lead water service uh, replacement work as well. We took the opportunity to add medians where we could in this area. Uh, that gave us uh, more space for uh, street trees. Uh, and also in, at this location near Aquinas, it provides for a pedestrian refuge area. Uh, we've already reviewed um, through the Stormwater Oversight Commission, um, the work that we collaboratively have done. Uh, just to note, we do add trees um, with our projects where, where we're able to, and some of that may be done by our contractor or forestry will come out and identify locations and species. Uh, their contractor will plant them and then uh, Vital Streets pays that cost as well. So. We're working towards that 40% uh, canopy goal that the city has for trees. Um, with the bicycle system, um, we're always looking for opportunities in our projects to provide access for all. And 
uh, 3.4 miles uh, were added in 2021. And then these are the uh, projects that are upcoming in this, this current calendar year. Um, the thing to note is with our temporary paving program, uh, Mo Mobile GR looks at are there opportunities there as well for restriping that, that could add more bicycle facilities. And then Matt, back to you. All right, so these following slides are ward maps of projected um, investments Vital Streets will be making uh, in the coming year. Um, I should turn this on so you can hear me. Thanks, sorry. So uh, projected investments we're going to make in the coming year. Again, we are still susceptible to whatever supply chain constraints we may be operating on. Um, and still trying to create a balance in investment funding um, throughout the area. These projects will go on the website. And through their life cycle, they'll be receiving updates regularly. So we'll be able to reflect back on whatever um, calls we receive from the community at large about where their project stands and what's going on. So we thank you for the opportunity to present today. Um, and we're here for questions as needed. All right, very good. Thank you um, for that overview. Thank you, Mayor, Commissioners. And I just want to add to um, one of the comments about uh, the funding regarding sidewalk program. And even though we don't have general fund money appropriated this year, we did anticipate leveraging um, one-time use of ARPA funds for some of the projects that we have federal commitments, uh, particularly around sidewalks. So that is um, one-time use that has been anticipated in the budget. Great, thanks city manager. All right, well, I will, uh, I'll start with a couple comments and questions. Um, again, I wanna thank everyone who serves on the Vital Streets Commission um, for their work. I have a question related to that body. Um, but first, I'll start by saying Fulton Street looks great. Rick, thank you. I know there was a lot of community conversations about that. Um, I walk it almost every day and it looks fantastic. So thank you. Uh, I have a question um, about our street lights. So I know we've been doing, uh, I don't know if it's technically a pilot, uh, but we've been, we've had uh, four way stops downtown at a number of intersections. I'm curious, are we collecting data on that? And will that stay? It seems anecdotally to be working well and has slowed um, traffic down downtown. Uh, do you want me to ask all my questions and then, why don't I ask all of them? Cause you may, you may, Josh need to respond to more than one. Uh, the second question I have is the timeline for the car share pilot. When is that going to be rolled out? What's the structure of that going to be? Uh, third question, as we look at our mobility options and the ridership on the dash, are we having conversations with the rapid? Uh, I know at the rapid we're embarking on our strategic plan and some of the work we're doing around uh, looking not just at mobility options and more flexible options, but also how do we make sure more people have access. I'm curious what kind of conversations we've had with them. Uh, and then my last question specifically about the Vital Streets Commission. I know uh, Commissioner Isasi and some of us, uh, some of you on the appointments committee, we've talked about that body. When that body was first created, uh, it was large and we had all of these de dedicated spots. I think there was a lot of important work that needed to be done those first few years. Um, since then, uh, it seems like that work is a lot smoother. Uh, than it was when we first started, uh, and uh, I know there's a resolution that, that spells out the size of that body. I'm curious if the commission itself has talked about reducing the size and making it a little bit more nimble. Um, it, it, it 
clearly it's been challenging to fill at least a dozen of those seats and uh, the body seems to be working effectively without it being as large as it initially was. So I'm curious if we can move that forward in the next couple of months to reduce the size of that body to 11, 13, uh, and just take a close look at that and make some changes. So those are my questions. Uh, and maybe, Mr. Naramore, you can start, and then I'll turn to my colleagues. Thank you, Mayor. I can answer the first three questions. So very quickly, um, so the downtown signals that are currently in flash, we plan to remain keeping them in flash, and that's part of the ongoing conversations related to the two-way, one-way conversation on Ottawa and Ionia and how they relate to one another. We have been collecting data. It is very effective. It's actually very much improved the yield percentage to pedestrians in the right-of-way and made it a lot uh, of an improved experience. Um, the car share question is a really good conversation. A good question. There's actually an organization that's working within with the state of Michigan with the Department of Energy grant. They've targeted to work with Ann Arbor and Detroit uh, within the first year. They've since they didn't know much about the city of Grand Rapids, so we've been educating them uh, as part of that. And so we're currently trying to finagle our way into that process. Our goal would be to launch something about this time next year, based on availability and other things and some of the planning process. But as Ms. Barron's uh, um, mentioned, um, we just have some concerns about some of the community conversations that need to happen as part of that. And one of our biggest partners and just how that relates to some of the public safety dialogues, so we've been kind of holding off on the, and putting that towards later in the fall, probably to begin some of those engagement conversations. Um, then the dash, um, the city manager can attest to this. We've had a lot of conversations with the Rapid, including Ms. Prado and all of her team as it relates to that. Our goal is to actually have it included as part of the transit master plan conversation conversation that will be happening around the rapid board for you and your other uh, delegates that represent the city on the, the rapid board, um, as well as uh, constituents. The other entity that pays a portion of that is the Downtown Development Authority. We've also had some conversations with Mr. Kelly and his team about what they have, and they've been funding supporters of that. They are the only other entity that funds that other than the city to help contribute to that. And then we're going to be doing a survey of the people who actually use it and ride the, the system as well as any of the businesses that are riding it regularly. And our plan is to do that probably in the next month or so in partnership with our Office of Communications. And then that information would be used to help the rapid and inform the conversation around that table. Great. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. I don't know who wants to grab the Vital Streets Commission size and format question. I'm happy to take the lead on it if I have to. but. <laughs> We, uh, the Vital Streets Oversight Commission is meeting every two months, and uh, we just met in, in April. So we can add it to the agenda and, and put that forward and have a discussion there as well. Thank you. I would like to know from the body, one, if they're supportive, and two, what the ideal size is for the work that lies ahead. Uh, as I said, it's, it's clearly a lot of the fundamental work has already been done, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have all these open vacancies on that body. Just one other comment related to that is at the end of this calendar year, we're halfway through the Vital Streets program. So thinking ahead in a couple of years, um, do you gear back up with a sustainable streets type commission to, to look at all of that again? Yeah, it would be good for the Vital Streets Oversight Commission to talk. Yeah, thanks. We can see, certainly work on 
teeing up some options and working with the city attorney's office in terms of how much flexibility we may have and yeah. work to bring that forward at a time that makes sense for the commission. Well, it's a city commission resolution that set that, so I believe it's within our authority to amend it and change it at our when we see fit. I know we've done that for a number of other boards and commissions over the years, um, changed the makeup or just uh, eliminated the requirements for certain standing positions. Uh, but we would like to hear from some of the folks who serve around that table before we move forward a recommended change. So thank you. If you'd follow up on that, Kate, that'd be great. All right. Other questions, like Commissioner Isasi? Thank you, Mayor. Um, thanks for the presentation. And um, yes, I know a lot of, uh, I don't go full t down Fulton Street as much as you do, Mayor, but um, I know that there was a lot of in community engagement work and a lot of individual follow-up and, and communication, you know, obviously change management. So I'll, I'll echo my thanks there too. Um, as far as vital streets, I would um, absolutely support what you said, Mayor. I've been on appointments since I've been on the commission, so two and a half years, and I think we've added one individual in that time. So, and clearly based upon the presentation, the work is being done, um, and I think you know, in some ways, this is where I think we really have been very much engaged in community engagement. The, the bodies that are listed are, are community-based organizations, but there's been a lot of turnover in those, in those organizations over the years. And so how do you tie it back into either residency or, or something like that? So I wanted to highlight that. The two things that come to mind, I'm, and you, you brought up the DASH mayor, so thank you for that, um, and the ride share. Um, but my questions are uh, two on the pedestrian safety pieces. So I think we heard a little bit about that, but I would say I don't know what it has been like over the last year. I can think of some some really heartbreaking, you know, um, fate, like a fatality that happened on um, Jefferson, I think, earlier at the end of 2021, uh, young man. Um, um, who died in a, in a vehicle crash and he was waiting to go to school. And so I think that we continue to hear some near misses and pieces. I think, you know, we've done a good job on the communication about being mindful of our crosswalks, but you know, there are times when I see people <laughs> blow through them. And sometimes when you, um, even I feel like myself, I'm like, okay, I, I didn't right, realize this or I didn't recognize this. So, and, and many, I think, constituents during COVID just sharing with us that they feel like people are just driving much faster than they ever did before, probably. Although it took me a long time to get here today. I almost missed the eight o'clock meeting because uh, of, of some um, construction right by Grand Valley. But so I think I just want to elevate that, um, continuing that work for pedestrian safety as we look at all sorts of mobility options. Um, I know that's something that's been concerning. And then secondarily, as you talked, Ms. Behrens, about um, the work that Mobile GR had done with um, taking away the um, parking from GRPD and moving that into that civilian space, which I think uh, I agree supports a lot of our efforts. But I also think we've heard that too with, with speeding. Um, and so, you know, a message being sent to like DC Reifenberg or somebody else like, oh, there's speeding going on. Well, again, I think a lot of those things is like, you're probably not going to find the person who's doing it. It's really the proactive nature of the efforts that we work on. So, um, you know, just continuing to look at who sort of holds that responsibility, because I think sometimes our constituents would think that should go to the PD, but certainly Mr. Naramore and others and other departments have, have held on to that. But just making, having a little bit more definition there, I think, and communicating that out to the public um, would be in line with our strategic plan. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thanks, Commissioner. Did you want to add anything? And then I'll go down here to Commissioner Jones and then Commissioner Lanier. We can certainly provide and follow up a more complete um, look at all of the pedestrian safety measures in particular that are, I know we just hit a few highlights, so we can bring that back when we bring back information. Yeah, thanks. Or you can send it to us. Either, whatever works easy, works better. Uh, Commissioner Jones? Very good, yep. Thank you for the presentation on this afternoon. I just want to, uh, in some ways, echo uh, my colleague, Commissioner Yasasi, around pedestrian safety. And really, I am uh, extremely hopeful. I've talked to Mr. Naramore about this. I serve on the uh, Mobile GR uh, board and uh, would just love to see uh, more investment and just more innovation around traffic calming um, as a whole in our city. Um, I remember, again, during, you're right, Commissioner Yasasi, during COVID, we were, giving, we were receiving reports or, or emails or calls from, from residents talking about the speeding on side streets um, in particular. But also, uh, you know, it's, it's known that you can get uh, to anywhere in Grand Rapids in 20 minutes. What's not added to that is uh, how fast are you going to get there, right, if it's from one quadrant to another. But I want to suggest that um, it, may not, it may not be the most popular, um, you know, thing to implement, but, but more um, traffic calming programs, I think, are very much needed. Um, just for the, the, the sake of safety, uh, I know there have been a number of fatalities. And again, we are hearing from uh, our constituents about this. So, is there more? I thought you were going to bring up motorcycles for a minute there. No, <laughs> um, I just wanted to add because it's come up now two different uh, separate occasions. So I wanted to highlight uh, Mr. DeVries, I think went pretty quickly, but in the Vital Streets conversation, there's a transfer from Vital Streets to Mobile GR to actually expand our traffic calming program. We're in the first year of that. As part of that, we can. I just want to highlight a couple investments. We didn't really highlight this in the budget presentation. In addition to parking enforcement, we also took over management of the speed trailer program from GRPD last year. Um, and also, based on the recommendation from Commissioner O'Connor, we purchased additional speed trailers that are actually being deployed out on the street right now. So that's a way in which we're benefiting that. And so when we can deal with a lot of the speeding complaints that they get, because we've worked on a collaborative relationship with the police department, so when they get a speeding complaint, we match those up with the complaints that we've received to also look and initiate for traffic calming review. We're trying to pivot what has been a reactionary program to a proactive program so that we're actually doing the analysis with collecting data on traffic volumes, speeding, complaints that we get, and trying to program those out further in advance to leverage vital streets as we get more to the local street network to have a more proactive um, um, change in the community. And the speed trailers have been really helpful because when you have 20 requests that come in, you can actually program them out throughout the summer. It's a visible mechanism that shows that we're listening and we're trying to be responsive, but it also allows us to collect data on how much speeding is actually taking place on the street. So those are things we did in year one, and then there are about four traffic calming program or projects that were scheduled to complete this summer, and then there will be more next year with the additional investment we did. So Great. Good to know. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Lanier and then Commissioner O'Connor. Thank you. Thank you for the presentations. I'll start with my thanks for the um, stormwater grant for the Alger Ravine. Um, such a long-term project that has, over time, we've tried multiple things, so I'm hopeful that this last grant will be the solution that's long-term for the residents there. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about the porous pavers and the pros and cons of the usage of those, and if we will try to integrate them into, you know, more of the street 
projects that we have forthcoming. And under slide, that was slide, um, well, if there are a couple references, slide 48 was one of the references for that. Under slide 51, um, it was regarding the level of service being C, and I'm, I'm curious to know um, for the catch basins, if the maintenance of those, if that's included in the grading, um, and if not, um, I'm just curious to know if we're tr tracking our maintenance with with, with some of the um, catch basins because I know that there have been a number of complaints regarding the maintenance of those and I know some of the business districts and neighborhood associations are kind of taking ownership of some of those. Um, and then under slide, um, well just in mobility in general I think um, I just have a question about um, the bus shelter um, program and if we can have an update on that I mean it's you know one of the programs that we've tried to get off the ground a few years we've allocated dollars to it um, it's really slow moving um, but I know that we've also made some progress I'm just curious to know if we've completed what we had proposed to do or um, if we've yet to finish that um, I think in addition to to Commissioner Jones's point about um, traffic calming, I think um, I was in a different city over the weekend in Michigan and ran across a, um, it's probably like four or five rumble strips, I guess, mm -hmm. um, to address um, traffic calming on a street. I think it was maybe a 55 or 45 road, um, miles per hour road. And I just, you know, I was just thinking that would have been a really good solution on Fuller Avenue, where um, near that Adams Cross Street and um, Alto Cross Street, uh, well, actually it's Noble, not Adams, so just a couple streets north of, of Adams, but which hasn't been done. I know that the, um, the um, Alto Cross Street is being worked on currently. And I think that that's a, better solution in neighborhoods like that than the roundabouts. Um, so I just, you know, it would be great to consider um, more options to provide to residents. You know, I think right now we're offering speed bumps and roundabouts. And, you know, so depending on which type of a street you're on will dictate which one will be accessible to you. Um, under the the um, car share program that we're looking into, this is slide 61. I'm just curious to know with, with the proposed um, allocation here, how many vehicles are we talking about that will be a part of the fleet for that? And um, I'm also curious to know with the parking rate comparison chart on slide 67, you know, if we're trying to promote um, an increase of downtown traffic, I know that I'm not sure if the numbers are back at pre-COVID levels, but I know that and to the point you were making about even um, the operations of many of the businesses and the times that they're opening now. But I know we're trying to um, promote more traffic in downtown. So I'm curious to know how does the increase in the parking rate um, hinders or helps with that? And then, um, Mayor, I'd like to just support what you were um, asking and Commissioner Isasi regarding vital streets and very supportive of, of reevaluating the makeup and requirements for that body. 
But one of the questions that I have on slide, the unnumbered slide with the current state of Vital Streets is um, I, it, we started off with 60% fair to good in, 20, in 2002. And in, two, in 2021, we're at 62% of fair to good. And it doesn't, I, 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 it doesn't feel like the growth is significant, but I think when you look at some of the other slides, it is. Um, so I'm just curious to know how are we, how is this, what's happening here? <laughs> Why does it only look like a 2% increase, you know, after spending, I don't know, what was the total, $151 million? Um, how did we only increase 2%? So there's something about how that chart is expressed, I don't think is depicting everything that we want. It is a little confusing. I had yeah. to look at it a couple times. I think it, it was, if I remember, it was the chart that we used before the millage increased, mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. we, the millage what, passed, mm -hmm. um, that those were the projections if we did nothing and then our current state is with the investments that we've made. Yeah. But it is, I'm with you, it's it's confusing. We would have been at 87% full poor mm -hmm. had we done nothing, but instead we're at 62% fair or good. Yeah. Am I reading that right? It's confusing though, isn't it, a little bit? Sure, and I can, I can take that one first. So part of the message in the story um, from 2002, um, to 2012 is, is basically we fell off the cliff. So we weren't investing. We went from 60% good and fair to 60% poor um, over that period of time. So 2002 was the 21st Century Task Force, and they were looking at, well, we've got to invest more in streets, and we didn't listen. And we did in 2012 to the Sustainable Streets Task Force. So really what you have to look at is, is um, it was 60% poor, so we were really around 35% good and fair when the program started, and now we're at 62%. So um, it's really that comparison of, of what that 150 million um, actually was the investment for and overall what we looked at was about 300 million dollar investment over the 15 years to get from 35 percent good and fair to 70 percent good and fair so okay thank you for that and i think i think it would be to look at that it probably should be depicted in some way mm -hmm. so that then you know, the public is seeing that comparison, so you're comparing apples to apples because I think the when you switch from poor to the fair to good, it doesn't appear as though we've made a lot of progress. And I, I know that that isn't true, so thank you for kind of sharing what the fair to good would have been in 2012. Yeah. Rick, you also want to talk about the poorest pavers oh, maintenance? Sure. Yeah, I can take a run pavers. You want to? So we're always evaluating best practices on our stormwater infrastructure um, as far as getting that in there. So the pavers that we're using now, we're very happy with. Uh, that said, we're finding for the most part it's insulation. 
So there are a lot of very good systems out there. There's some bad systems as well, but what we're finding is it almost, it doesn't necessarily make a big difference on what we're using, it's, it's how it gets put in well. So that's things that Carrie and her team are looking at. We don't just stick something in the ground and then walk away from it. We're going back out, is it still working? Do, what do we need to do with it? What's the upkeep on it and that sort of thing. So that's porous pavers and since I made it this far, um, you asked about the base, maintenance of catch basins. When we report out on our level C of service, we only score out three different things that we track. Mm -hmm. We track all kinds of stuff. Um, that, that's just, those were the benchmarks that we use to to track that. So we're out there doing maintenance on our basins, doing a whole other lot of other things that don't qualify as part of the level C of service reporting. So yes, we are out there. And when we've got a new program now where we're going in and lining the top chunk of our catch basins, because what we're finding is the salt and freeze in that top little piece is really where the failures are occurring on those catch basins. That's why when Rick and friends go out and build a shiny new road, we end up with a divot two years later because that concrete in there got busted up. Mm -hmm. So we, we've got an innovative new program that we've budgeted $100,000 starting last year and it'll go into full effect this year to go in and line those first few feet with a spray product. And over on the east side of the state, they've had a lot of success with that. So we're kind of hoping that'll do what it's supposed to. Great, what were the three categories that you are using to come up with your level C rating? If, if not, Maintenance, what are oh, they? Oh, maintenance, it's, it's preventative maintenance. Um, why don't you give me a hand here because I'm not going to be able to do those off the top of okay. my head. Um, we've got multiple categories, but I, basically it's pre preventative and corrective and then inspection. Okay. Um, Thank you. Okay. Is it? Thank you. All right. Then the uh, questions on the bus shelter, traffic calming, rumble strip benchmark, and uh, car share fleet. You can take that. Um, so I'll, I'll go in the order of what I heard you referencing. So the bus shelter program. So um, we had completed 22 uh, bus shelter uh, just prior to the pandemic. We did that installation sort of in that, that fiscal year. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic itself, we halted some of that just because we needed to have some of the capital available in case we needed to defer more back into our operating. Um, since that time last year, we actually spent a lot of time doing a, a, a sort of a relationship change with the Rapid as it relates to that. We're actually now, because there were issues with maintenance of when a shelter was damaged, who could replace it, who could do it faster, because what we were doing is we were purchasing them, installing them, and turning them over to the Rapid. We've since consolidated that, we've worked through that, and we have 40 locations that are ready to be installed by the end of this calendar year. So we will be getting back on track, but during the pandemic, we pivoted to, we installed a lot of trash cans at about, there's just, I think it's 48 locations, but we've purchased 75, and those are able to be tipped by our own refuse department at those locations, so it's a mag lock on it. They're all across the city, and that's been, and we've spent a lot more time during that time investing in cleanliness and right-of-way management. Um, particularly, a lot of resources have been spent in Burton Heights in all of the areas around the Silver Line, the parking lots, et cetera. So we kind of spent some time instead of putting more infrastructure out there and actually maintaining the infrastructure that we do have within the right-of-way. But then the plan is by the end of uh, this calendar year, we will have 40 additional shelter investments. And then this current year, we'll also try to be getting back into that target, which is what we set for ourselves, is to improve 40 bus stop locations every single year in partnership with the Rapid. Last thing is, there were, Rapid was going through some service changes, and so we held off on doing the stop until they completed that process, and that service went into effect, I believe it was last fall, was when they did the service changes, so we didn't do bus stop improvements during that period of time. 
Thank you. And then I think it probably would be a great idea to engage with the um, Economic Development Department because I know many of the corridor improvement district authorities are also looking at trash cans and, and some other things surrounding the um, bus shelters to, to keep them clean. So maybe we can save some money somewhere if you guys are purchasing trash cans and they are as well. And we are actually working on one currently with two corridor improvement authorities. So the North Corridor and um, South Division, Cesar Chavez or South Division Granville CIA um, with partnership with Ms. Bohach and her team for leveraging some of the CDBG funding that was available to those two entities because they're within target areas. So we're administering that. And so basically we partnered with them for a whole bunch of infrastructure, benches, trash cans as well. And we're looking to expand that to the other quarter improvement authorities. I know our team is actively talking to Southtown as well about the same thing. So that is something that we are working with economic development on. Great. So, that's so then at the end of this calendar year, we'll be at 62 bus shelters. Is that what I'm understanding? The oh, 22 that were done plus the 40 that are on deck. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank yes. you. Yes. And I can give you an, a full detailed report as part of our performance report evaluation, which is, I believe, what we're targeted to do. And does it include a map of where they're located? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes. Um, for the traffic calming for the rumble strips, um, rumble strips is a countermeasure usually used on higher volume, higher speed roadways because they're very automotive centric. Um, if you're a bicyclist like I am, they're not the best experience to ride through. They actually can be pretty damaging to tires. But we can actually get you a report out on, on all the different countermeasures with the expanded traffic calming. Under the old program, the only thing we could afford to do was speed bumps. Yep. That's it. The rest of them had to be done as part of other uh, retrofitting projects. So we're trying to expand the availability of all of those things in order to measure them like chicanes or other things to, as part of the greening of, of neighborhood streets. Thank you. Um, the car share program, it's a really great question. We don't officially know the answer to that question about how many vehicles. The, the vendor that we're working with, we have an upcoming meeting in a couple weeks. The, these are some of the questions we have. They've preliminary targeted that they usually say for a first phase is four to seven vehicles is what they would target. Okay. Um, that's based on some outreach that they want to do with the community in partnership with us as well, and also the availability and the phasing in of vehicles. Because we're looking at sort of what would you do in the first year, but also what would you do over three years? Mm -hmm. Bring that to more neighborhood business districts as well as there's a high demand in downtown um, as part of some of the previous planning efforts that had been identified. But we're right. focusing in the neighborhoods of focus first before we go anywhere else. Great, thank you. Yeah. And then the last one is on the parking rate comparisons. Yeah. So um, if you look at what we're proposing here for the rates, if you were to look at revenues in our current fiscal year, um, we're actually overperforming on the visitor, which is the half hour rates and the daily, as well as events. We are tech we're probably going to come pretty close to 2019 uh, in terms of events. And mostly that's because there's a lot of double and triple booking that are happening at many of our performance venues on any given night. Um, where we've lagged a little bit is in monthly parking. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not necessarily because there's not demand for it. It's just that we're finding a lot more of the employers, which we found during the survey we did in the fall, they want to share cards. The return to work strategy is they're coming in two days a week instead of all five days. And so we're trying to work with them on different ways to better meet their, their goals. But that revenue line item is a little bit lower than what we had projected. But overall, we're looking to exceed our, our target for the current fiscal year. So and then why the rate increase? Well, so part of what we were trying to highlight on the slides is 
Um, we have woefully underinvested in the parking system, and we've relied on the ARPA and a little bit of CARES money prior to that in order to be able to maintain the assets that we have. And the only thing that kept us afloat was we spent all of our cash reserves that we had, as well as we took what we were funding. If you look at the graph that's in your packet about capital reserves, mm -hmm. we should be targeting between six to seven million dollars in uh, capital investments. We're hovering between one and a half and two and a half million dollars a year. So if we're looking further to that, we're trying to be able to catch up for that. And also over the last six years, costs have gone up dramatically in the operations. Whether that's staffing, a big line item that we work with the city treasurer on, he's been very helpful on, is trying to manage credit card fees, which have well exceeded our expectation. The pandemic has driven more people to use their cell phone and their credit card other than cash payments. So low dollar transactions, high volume uh, in terms of what those are, but we pay a lot of the fees and we, the city, have historically been absorbing them. Yeah. So this is a way in which we can help be able to capture some of those costs that the system has been bearing and then make sure that we can be able to invest uh, appropriately um, in the system. It's an expensive system to maintain and um, you, you'll, you've seen a few projects and you will see more in the, in the next year or so for, for doing um, you know, stairwells, elevators are a big <coughs> investment area that we have to make as well in the system. Yeah, and I think an alternative could be is to place the fees at the end user so then those who are utilizing the system in that way would be responsible then for paying the fees as opposed to absorbing them. But that's just another option. But we, have, we are doing that as well. Okay. So that is actually a fee that was approved last year that will go into effect here in the, the, the near future where we're going to be pivoting on some of those for the, the on-street system. But the large expense is our off-street system, yeah. which is this is trying to adjust some of the rates to be able to increase the revenue line item to help pay for the asset management inventory uh, for, for that system. Thank you. Mayor, and if, if I could add, uh, Ms. Nearmore has been asking us to evaluate the fiscal sustainability of our parking rates for the past couple of years, and we've been delaying it because of the pandemic. And even with this proposed fee increase, we're, we're going to um, delay the implementation. I think it's not scheduled until January, January. 1st of 2020. Right. So that will still allow more recovery during summer as well as uh, the holiday season. Thanks. Commissioner O'Connor. Uh, yeah, for Mr. Nairmore, I know we've talked about this in the past. Uh, you know, I, I know I, along with I'm sure most of my colleagues, get a lot of requests for the pedestrian uh, crosswalk safety improvements. And I know you and your staff have been looking at uh, creating some uh, program around the consistency and application on how and when and where those get uh, get put in. I just wonder what if there's any update around that as it relates to how we're going to fund those in the future. Yeah, yes. Uh, thanks, Commissioner, for that question. So we've been working a lot on that and designing a lot of those projects. Uh, one issue that we've run into is just before the pandemic, they cost about $25,000. They now cost about $55,000 because of some just infrastructure costs related to signal infrastructure and everything else. But one thing I would highlight is this morning on the community development agenda, there was the ability to apply for um, transportation alternatives program uh, funding through the Grand Valley Metro Council. So we had programmed only to do two crossing improvements, but with the funding that we had set aside for that, we can actually leverage that to improve six different crossings. Um, and uh, four, of the, four of the six of them are in the neighborhoods of focus. 
But the, the idea is we have a long-term strategy and we're trying to actually build towards being able to leverage some of that federal funding. And then I will say that there is um, a new program that is available that uh, we'll roll out later this month as part of the infrastructure bill that allows us to tap into it very specifically. And it's only for communities who have done the data analysis, the work, the programming, and to identify all of those different crossing locations. So it costs $50,000 to put two signs in that have little solar panels on them and flash? Yes. Well, for the full for the full thing, all of the equipment uh, and all of the design work, it is about fifty thousand dollars per intersection location. Yes, sir. And, and uh, underground that includes it's underground at some of the utilities, but even the solar powered ones are are fairly expensive. It's even worse when you look to the lead time for pedestrian hybrid beacons, which is the full highest treatment, which we are advocating to in to, to program a few of those. It's almost three hundred thousand dollars a piece, and the lead time on materials is eighteen to twenty four months. So it's an issue that we've run into with one that we've talked about for a while is the actual crossing between DeVos Place and City Hall. Um, and we're working very diligently on trying to get that done sooner rather than later. Our target is to get it done before our prize, but it's been a material availability issue. And how much are those little signs that you can just put in the street that people run over but are easy to replace? <laughs> with the staffing and the costs and everything and the installation, it's about $400. Okay. We should buy a lot more of those. <laughs> it's the effectiveness of the different yeah. treatments and the safety that we can offer to the community, and that's what we're trying to do. But yes, sir. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, uh, other questions or comments, commissioners? All right, this was really informative. Uh, city manager, anything to add as we finish up? Nothing to add. Mayor, I want to thank uh, the staff today for their work, but um, we do have other staff that uh, from the earlier briefing wanted to see if there's any other questions about any of the materials from Monday. And I also know that our police department uh, has been listening to a lot of the discussion around traffic safety and didn't know if uh, they had anything else to add. Nothing else. All right. And we got out of the list. Were we scheduled to five or four? Five. five. Okay. All right. So uh, with that, we will finish up uh, this budget work session, and we'll be back here uh, at 7. Oh, that's right. So city clerk tells me I need to do public comment. Is there anyone here who wishes to be heard? All right, seeing none, we'll close that. And now we will end this meeting, uh, and we will be back here tonight at 7 o'clock, commissioners.